All right, we got at least one mic runner here. <clears throat> I didn't get to this, but this is recorded, so you can share this with your kids. Um, in the interest of time, I, I did not have an opportunity to say this, but here would have been my words to kids. Zamira, I see you here. Barnabas, you're here, although it's... Um, it's, it's a tried and true, or this has gotten a lot of mileage in our household. You know, God gave Saul a command. And Saul followed that command through, um, except not all the way. For God called Saul's command, or sorry, his, his following through with it, partial obedience, disobedience. God called his partial obedience full disobedience. And God also has a command for our children here to you know, obey their parents and everything, Colossians 3.2. So just remind your kids, or you can play this for them. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to exhort them during the service, but I would have said be careful not to think that your partial obedience is full obedience because it's not. So there you go. It's on the tape. Share it with the kids. Next. Renee. <clears throat> Renee Lucia, Ethan. (laughs) I just have two blanks I didn't get, the first one and the last one. The first is a biblical foundation. I totally missed that, so thank you. Um, And then the last one is Saul's scandalous sin. Okay, I guess I didn't get D then, because I put that for D. Oh, Saul's shared sin. So I'll, I'll just oh. go through the, the outline real quick. <clears throat> First, we started with a biblical foundation. We took a look at, at James chapter 1 and, and 2 Corinthians 7. And in James, we learned that unchecked desire will conceive and give birth to sin. We also learned that sin will continue to grow until it brings forth death. 2 Corinthians, we learn that worldly sorrow produces death. Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. Repentance and salvation. And then our second point was Saul's sinful progression. And you can see that. Hopefully I made that clear this morning. Uh, It starts with Saul's sorrowful sin. He's sorry that he sinned, unwilling though to, to, to give up the kingdom. He wants to be honored in front of the people. And then we see Saul's sudden sin. He takes the spear and in a fit of rage throws the spear at David. It's sudden. It's not planned. It's, um, it's more of like voluntary manslaughter in that, in that respect. And then we see Saul's secret sin. He's not quite all the way yet gone to, to, to pursuing David like he does at the end of, of 1 Samuel. He, he's trying to get others to, to handle his dirty work. So it's not public, but it's still there and it's growing. Because now there is this willful part in planning that's, that's involved in it. So Saul's secret sin. And then we see Saul's shared sin. Now he's out in the open about it, but not with everyone. He tells Jonathan and, and some of his other soldiers, you know, hey, go and, and, and kill David. He's rebuked for it. Um, but that, but now, now it's out in the open for the first time. He's saying it to others. And then finally we see Saul's scandalous sin. And that is... Um, the worst of them all, 
Uh, now he's no, he has no restraints now. He's full bore uh, on this pursuit of killing David and, and, and sadly others stand in the way of, of his pursuit. And one thing I didn't, I didn't note, um, and it's really a lapse on my part because it's landed on me in our study so hard, um, is that Saul's attempt to use the Philistines to kill David is unsuccessful, right? David goes and brings back 200 foreskins of the Philistines. However, David sadly picks up on that tactic and is successful. David will use that tactic to take care of Uriah because Uriah won't sleep with his wife to cover David's sin. Now David does repent of that, but sadly David does use that same tactic, but in his, um, in his event it was successful. Pastor Jeremy. I, ha- I hadn't noticed till you pointed out this morning the total war aspect of the priests of Nob, which sets up an interesting contrast. In service of the Lord, he refuses to do total war against the Amalekites. In service of his sin, he will do total war against the priests at Nob. It's sad. <clears throat> what Jeremy's saying there is, is in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, God gives a command to Saul to wipe out completely the Amalekites. Go and wipe them, man, woman, child, infant, and, and, and all of their livestock. And we can talk about, about that if, if we want to go that direction. But that's the command that, that is given to them because of the sins of the Amalekites when they oppose Israel on their way out from, I was going to say Jerusalem, from Egypt. Thank you. Thank you. Brain fart. Um, so what Jeremy's pointing out there is that Saul spares Agag and the best of the sheep. But, of course, he spares the best of the sheep to offer a sacrifice to Yahweh. Right? That's a good motive, you would think. Um, but no, full or partial obedience is full disobedience. So Saul doesn't follow through with it there when he's commanded by Yahweh. However, when it's now in Saul's interest to you know, put David to death and he has exploded to the point where he's going to involve others and involve others in the sense that others are going to die in his path to, to David as well, he pursues um, fully the death of, of those at Nob. Although, thankfully, he's, uh, well, uh, I, I guess you, you would say, um, you know, the Lord had his hand in it, but he's unsuccessful because a high tube, I believe it is, a Himalek and a high tube, um, comes and joins David, and that's the son or the, the, the man in Eli's house that will be left to weep his eyes out, and that happens later in Kings. So, yeah, Saul pursues, you know, with fierce you know, um, desire and, and completeness, the killing of the priests at Nob and their families, but will not, um, in, in chapter 15, follow through with the same desire and completeness, uh, the, the, the slaughter of the Amalekites. I noticed the, uh, the sovereignty of God throughout the uh, chapters you mentioned, and I wonder if you could comment upon, on three separate occasions, God sent an evil spirit to Saul on three separate occasions. And I assume the sovereignty of God and the progression of sin, all this is tied together somehow. Certainly. So if you could relate, shed some light on that a little bit. Yeah. So Saul, because of his sin 
has the kingdom removed from him. Now, it, it's, you know, Saul could have repented conceivably, right? He could have finally and totally received David as, as king. And, and, and you, I, I missed kind of making an emphasis of it this morning, but if you read through 1 Samuel, you'll notice that time is involved here. Like this is not happening all in one week. Saul isn't sliding, right, from, from point A to all the way down to point Z in one week. As, as the Casting Crowns song aptly puts it, it's a slow fade, right? It's a slow fade that, that Saul goes on, and the Lord is allowing time out of his kindness to, to you know, re- rebuke Saul's efforts to go against David. But the Lord is, is in all of this, and I think that um, it's hard to know exactly when the Lord pulls a trigger and, and says, well, now you've made me your enemy, and, and so I will make you my enemy in that regard, and there is no, you know, maybe Saul, like Cain might have sought an opportunity for repentance, but it wasn't there because he was too engulfed in his sin. We don't see that, or you know, it doesn't say that in the text, but we are reminded by Samuel that you've made yourself an enemy of the Lord. The Lord is, is, is now your enemy. And um, I don't know if that answers your question, though. I just thought it was interesting um, I've read this passage numerous times and and really wondered why God has devoted so much time in his book to where we see just a person being disobedient over and over and over and over and over and over. Uh, because it's it's clearly I mean Saul is practically deranged and and it's and I've often wondered why did God put so much emphasis on this? And it wasn't until today that I thought of the analogy between Saul and his disobedience to God to us and our disobedience to God relative to sin, that we oftentimes do the exact same thing Saul is doing. It's easy for us to see Saul's hypocrisy, his his stupidity, his futility in in, in rejecting God's counsel. I mean, God or Saul knew in the beginning that his that God has decided to give the kingdom to David, but he just pretends he doesn't know that, and and oftentimes we do exact same thing. You know, we 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 understand when we're sinning, and we we repent as Saul re- seemed to repent over and over and over, but he didn't really, and and that's an example to us or a, a good uh, exoneration to us to know that. There are more things for us to do to deal with our sin rather than just to recognize it and say, oh, God, I sure hope I don't do that again. Yeah, I like what you said there. You, you started out saying that Saul seems to repent and go back and forth, and then you said, but he really didn't. And you're absolutely right. Saul, Saul never actually repents because what would have repentance looked like? Repentance would have been receiving not only that I'm not going to pursue David and kill David, that, that, that could be an, an action that flows out of repentance. But at its heart, repentance would have been receiving the Lord's new king. You were just told, Saul, that your sin and disobedience has led to you losing the kingdom. You've already lost it for your offspring. The, descent, the dynasty, rather, is gone. And now the, the kingdom is being taken away from you, Saul. Will you repent? You, will you receive that? And Saul 
to, just to, again, go back to this analogy of James, you know, Saul will attack and do battle with the temptation that's, that comes out of that desire. Oh, no, I threw a spirit, David. Whoa, that was a crazy temptation. I'm going to you know, flee from that. He'll flee that temptation, but he won't actually deal with the root you know, desire that is the sin. And it's, and it's growing and it's getting bigger. And so we see Saul, you know, kind of go back and forth. And, and yeah, we've, in our study, we, we, we labored over that. Like, what is Saul doing here? And I think that as you take a step back and look at it all, it becomes crystal clear that, um, that what Saul is doing here is what we all do. When we say, oh, I've said sorry. I'm not going to do it again. Oh, I... I, I did it again. Oh, now, I, now I'm going to promise to Allison that I won't do it again. And I've made a promise now. So now I have to keep it. That's going to be strong enough to, to, to make it so that I don't, you know, get angry at her. No. If, if, if all I'm doing is, and all you are doing is addressing the fruit, like, Allison, I'm so sorry for, for yelling at you. Yeah, I should be sorry for yelling at Allison. But what's the root? If I'm not addressing the root, then I'm going to yell at Allison again. Believe you me. Another opportunity will arise. Maybe right now I feel like I've got control over it and I would never do that again. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but if I'm not dealing with the root, then I am only delaying the inevitable. Um, and you mentioned something that I think uh, brings up, you know, kind of what the direction we were going through earlier with like God's sovereignty and all of this. Another thing to keep in mind that I didn't mention this morning is Saul is the first king of Israel. Right? Do, do you remember how he became king? It wasn't in a righteous way. What did the people say? Give us a king. And they demanded a king. And Yahweh said, Samuel, no, no, don't worry. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. And so I think that as, as, I, as I have understood, you know, First and Second Samuel, it's really, it, it, it is, it's really a, a rebuke on, on Israel's demand for a king and then pointing to a greater king to come who is perfect. But they want a king, and, and the Lord says, okay, tell them what a king will require of them. And, and Saul is the epitome of the people's king. He's after their heart, and he, you know, when it comes to, you know, shall I uh, wait for Samuel? And to offer the sacrifice, or should I do something because the people are fleeing? I'm going to respond to that because his heart isn't in the direction of the Lord. And then if, when it comes to, am I going to you know, kill Agag and, and, and kill all the sheep, but the people want to spare the best of the sheep? Well, I'm going to do that because that's what the people want. And, and Israel's getting what they deserve in a sense. So in, in God's sovereignty, he's, he's giving Israel over to these kings and, and it's, it's so interesting. Um, time and time again, I've, I've heard this said in my life and just really haven't put two and two together. Israel's, Israel's kingdom, like, like the, the united kingship, is so short-lived. It's so short-lived and it is underwhelming. David is the height of that. And even David, as we're going through in, in 2 Samuel, is, is not perfect. He is a man after God's own heart, but he is not perfect. And so Israel is being reminded time and time again, you have demanded and required of a, a king. I was your king. And he will be our king again. 
Now you can understand why we've been in First and Second Samuel for almost five years. There's a lot there. Owen. Would it be possible for Saul to repent without uh, God's grace or God's intervention? No. He can't repent in and of the flesh. Um, and he tries to. And I think that's made abundantly clear as he sets up these guardrails for himself. I'm going to send David out of the kingdom. Then I won't do it again. Yes, you will. I'm going to be utterly shocked at what I just did, and I'm going to make a vow. I'm going to make, make an oath, a, a swear to the Lord that I won't do it again. Yes, you will. He's setting up guardrails in the flesh. He's setting up guardrails, and, and he is a fool to think that those are going to be strong enough to combat this sin baby that's now growing. Right? Yeah. Think, think of Barnabas right now. You know, we wrestle sometimes, and, and you know, I'll let him win, you know, this, that, and the other. Clearly, it's, there's no competition. Sorry, Barnabas. There's no... <laughs> There's no competition. Ten years down the road, when he's 18 years old, you know, it might go, it might be 50-50. It might be a toss-up. 30 years down the road, good luck. Far gone are the days of me giving him a chance just to make it fun. That, you know, he's going to, if, if I get a single escape or point, I will be thankful. I won't be looking for victory. I won't be looking, I won't be glory, glorying in pins. I'll be glorying in, in, oh, good, he didn't pin me, you know sort of thing. Uh, so that, that's just an analogy. This, this sin baby, if you let it go unchecked long enough, it will destroy you. Now, this is the only abortion I'm a fan of, is if you've got a sin baby, that thing's got to go. In 1 Samuel 28, 19, it says, Moreover, the Lord will also give over to Israel along with you in the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. I think what Owen just asked was the question I had, and I think it answered it. Saul was not going to be in heaven. He was just going to be with the Lord in death. Yes, you'll be with me, Samuel says, as I have died. And uh, we could go down that path, but Sheol or maybe this, this holding place. You, you won't be living. You and your sons won't be living come tomorrow. That's not my question, though. It, would it oh. be, it was... Is there a possibility that Saul will be in heaven? Oh, I see. What you're and his son. I mean, Jonathan I appeared to be a righteous son. Yeah. And I, so I when it says you Jonathan and your sons isn't. will be with me, but it doesn't sound like Saul would be. Right. Any comments on that? Uh, I have no reason to, to believe that Saul was repentant. All I can see from Saul's actions in his ark is that of further and further hardening himself to the point of making himself an enemy of God. And that's the language that, that Samuel reminds Saul of in that very section. Um, so I, I don't think, th- this is the way that I've reconciled this in our study, I don't think that Saul is going to be in heaven. I don't think when Samuel says, you'll be with me, it's you'll be with me in paradise. It's you will be with me in death. And, um, and so were your sons. Now Jonathan, again, I would be shocked if Jonathan isn't in heaven. Yes, because of your sin, death is on its way physically now, and Israel's going to be, you know, taken over, or, you know, uh, yes, given into the hands of the Philistines. Eric. 
Hi. Not very. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was wondering with that harmful spirit that the Lord sent. So would that be because he's try he's showing his sovereignty through David to kind of just to honor himself, knowing that he put David in charge kind of so that everyone can see, but Saul was already so wicked in his heart. So I guess why would the Lord have put that harmful spirit on him? Was it that that made him so much more, um, I guess, hostile towards David? Or do you know what I'm saying? Sure. This, this harmful spirit, you, you said because Saul is so wicked, he, he really doesn't start out that way. If you think about it, and this is something for all of us to get because it, it, it reflects on us. If you ask Saul in chapter 15, Saul, do you think, or what do you think about, you know, a king kind of like taking the Nathan to David approach? What do you think about a king who goes off and, and slaughters, you know, the king that, that the Lord has, has said is, is, is going to be the new king now? What do you think about that? I think Saul would have been appalled. And Saul would have been like, yeah, no, Th- that person deserves to die akin to what David said. I don't think that Saul started where he ended up. And that's the progression that I, I, I was attempting to kind of highlight. But this evil spirit that does approach him, even when he, the, 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 the sin baby, if you will, is, is not maybe yet conceived, right? Because he doesn't even know who David is yet. But it, I mean, in a sense, it is conceived because he's unwilling to give up the kingdom. That is made clear in 15. So the sin baby is conceived, but not, I mean, it's not fully grown yet. But his, um, this, this evil spirit coming upon him, it, it, it is a judgment from the Lord. It's also maybe a grace from the Lord. It could be, I mean, because Saul went the direction he did, you know, that, that we could say, well, that's the effect that it had. It could have also had the effect of softening him and, and uh, giving him an opportunity to repent and to see the Lord's anointed. There's a, check. There's a New Testament equivalent of this principle in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, where we're told, as Paul deals with the man who's having the ongoing affair with his stepmother, um, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. So here's a, here's this, and this is done redemptively in the hopes that being tormented, but God's protection, we get this in Job that Satan has to get permission and he can only go so far, and God says, you don't, don't touch his health. And so there's a sovereign God even over Satan. And in 1 Corinthians 5, in enacting church discipline, there's a removal of that protection. And it's done in the hopes that their soul might be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. So even what happens with Saul is no different than what happens to believers who are who are separating themselves from the Lord now. And, and it's still not a final judgment. It's still done in the hopes that they might repent and return. So as shocking as that might be reading in 1 Samuel, the same thing's on the table for any one of us if we separate ourselves from the Lord long enough and persistently enough that God might deliver us over to Satan for the destruction of our flesh, that our soul might be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. It's just so overtly stated in the text. There's another irony as well, though, that Saul had received God's Holy Spirit. And so there's a fittingness of, with God's Spirit, he disobeys God. Okay, if you don't want that Spirit, Saul, here's a different Spirit. 
that there's a, a taking away, which sets up David in Psalm 51, where he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He's seen that exact thing happen. And so he's terrified lest his murder of Uriah would result in the similar abandonment by the Lord um, that he saw happen to Saul. You might want to keep that mic. Um, <clears throat> only because I, I, I yes, I, amen everything you just said. Although, just a point of clarification, the, you know, so that it's not confusing what I'm saying, um, I don't view the spirit that Saul was given as the same spirit that we receive. Um, it's a spirit in the Old Testament given to like those who were mud, brick, and clay builders that all of a sudden knew how to be fine workers of metal and, and things like that. Like It was an anointing spirit for the work of the ministry, and I and that's the that's what I'm operating from. But I'll let Jeremy. No, no, no. Agree. I think it's the same spirit. It, it's given under the old covenant. You are not sealed under the old covenant by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit under the old covenant is given temporarily for particular acts of service, like you said, for the people who make the uh, the temple. instruments in the temple and the tabernacle. And we, the Spirit, the God's Spirit, would come upon the judges and then leave. And so we don't have to risk, we don't have to worry about this God's taking his spirit from us. We're told under the new covenant, the spirit is a seal and a guarantor of our future um, redemption. But I do believe it's the same Holy Spirit functioning differently under a different covenant. To go along with that, uh, it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And his servant said, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. And that's when they seek Dave, David to come and play the harp for him. Uh, and I don't believe as Christians when we sin, obviously the Holy Spirit does not leave us, but we can quench the Holy Spirit, which is not a good thing, obviously. when uh, That's, uh, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's that's not a good thing to quench the Holy Spirit. But I believe as believers, we, the Holy Spirit will let us know, obviously, um, when we sin, and uh, we should have godly remorse, and I like the ideas. It's godly remorse also involves doing something about it. It's the sadness and remorse to know that God, and to realize that Jesus has forgiven me, but we confess to him, and then we set about doing, putting on something, taking off that sin, and doing something about it, like you said, and the Bible talks about that, that we may have to do that many, many times. But uh, I'm so grateful. I heard a sermon, I don't know who was on the radio, about the blessed relief after we have godly remorse about a sin and the joy we have to realize our sin is forgiven and uh, we can rejoice that we've been forgiven and and we don't need to let that sin paralyze us. And uh, I don't know what I'm saying, but it's just the relief that, you know, we have in in Christ to know that that Holy Spirit will not leave us. And as believers, we need to listen to that spirit. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness with which we will rejoice in that. Oops, sorry. I don't know if I, before we, yeah, we... I don't know if I could have stated this enough this morning, 
that, um, that Saul was constantly trying to put off. Right? You're familiar with that paradigm of repentance? Put off, put to death what is earthly among you, put away these things, as, as Paul will say in Colossians 3, and then put on these things. Now, it's not meant to be a list. Or, you know, people can get all caught up about what ties to what. The point is that in, in godly repentance, it's not enough to just put off. Right? Is everyone familiar with the, the story that if you clean the house out of the, the demons that remain in there, what happens? Bigger and stronger and more come in, right? If the house is left empty, it's going to get filled with something. Um, and so, I, you know, for us as a takeaway, we, we, I think I couldn't have stressed this enough and, and probably didn't stress it enough that we need to focus on the put off and the put on. Um, and Saul was exclusively engaged in the put-off, and not once was he involved in the put-on of receiving the Lord's King. There, and the, or we'll go past Jeremy and then Wanda. By way of comparison, when David is confronted about his sin with the wife of Uriah, um, his repentance involves publishing in Israel's Psalter a psalm whose title convicts him of murder. Psalm 51, David writes and then gives to Israel's corporate songbook. So every Israelite singing the psalm, this is eventually going to come across the song where David says when, and the title tells you what happened. So that's, that's a demonstration of repentance. The, the king isn't hiding his sin anymore. The, what David, the reason David killed Uriah was to cover and hide his sin. And we see the opposite, the putting off and the putting on. David is now actually publicly declaring his guilt. So that's a clear demonstration of repentance. Amen. Wanda. Well, I just want to, do I have this on? Okay. I just wanted to make sure I understood it because every time I read where God sent an evil spirit, it really doesn't set well with me. And so you're saying sometimes that evil spirit can be sent to cause you to repent? In First Corinthians 5, believers, yes. Okay. result in us being restored and, and repentant. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We got Don in the back. Uh, when I look at Samuel, I look at the sin, it, it's, I see not trusting in God's provision. Because like, what did I say? Oh, yes. Uh, well, in Samuel. Because um, when the people weren't trusting that God could lead them, they wanted a, a king like everybody else, like something they could see. And then uh, with Saul, uh, when he offers up the, the offering, he wasn't trusting in God's timing and plans. And then you look at David when he was being pursued by Saul, he was fully trusting in God. But then when he became king and he did the census where he wasn't trusting, he wanted to see how strong he was and kind of led down that road. So I think a sin basically is not trusting God. 
That's where it starts. And it's even Adam and Eve because they didn't trust God's plan. So just want to say that. That's seven minutes. So, in Second Peter, chapter one, verse five, for this every reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness and knowledge. And Second Peter says, "Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine." Amen. I think I have. I think it's on. Okay. I think I have the sequence right, but um, Israel demanded a king. Samuel meets with Saul and anoints him. Saul is in. Goes to make him king, and Saul hides. And But yet he holds on to the kingdom so tightly. And I don't know. It's just more of an observation than than a question. But um, but even at that stage, there's to me there's still some disobedience because he wasn't like willing to be king, or he was hiding and not wanting to be king. I don't know. Perhaps you could say Saul feared the people. I've heard that as an example for why he hid amongst the luggage. I'll remind you what Samuel says to Saul in First uh, Samuel 15. Yahweh sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. This is verse 1. Now, therefore, listen to the words of Yahweh. So, you know, Yahweh has sent me to anoint you over the people Israel. And I, I, I missed it. It's not that verse. It's, it's elsewhere in 15, but I'm going to struggle looking for it with the spotlight on me. But... Um, yeah, so I think Saul was... Thank you. Verse 10. No, not that. I, it's the, some, something about him being the smallest and monks and the Lord would... Uh, something like that. But um, Oh, there it is in verse 17. Though you were little in your own eyes, and I think this goes back to his hiding amongst the baggage. Though you are little in your own eyes, verse 17, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Yahweh anointed you king over Israel, and Yahweh sent you on a mission and said, go and devote to destruction to the Amalekites. So Samuel's reminding him, listen, you're not in this position because, you, because of you. You're in this position because of Yahweh's choice. And then now Yahweh has a, another choice. So yeah, I think he was sitting, hiding amongst the baggage, timid, um, scared that maybe the other, other tribes will, will you know, murder him or, or destroy him if, if he was pronounced king. Um, and then he starts out not too bad as he uh, provides salvation for the men at Jabesh Gilead. So Saul, Saul actually starts out, his ark is, is a good ark in Samuel. And then it's a bad ark. Well, I wish we could have gotten to, go ahead. I wish we could have gotten to more application um, Time is always uh, a difficult thing. Um, I was just thinking about what Daniel preached on in Jude last week and kind of making a connection with Saul being sort of like um, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And, um, I mean, maybe in Jude, the people who were kind of in the church but deceiving, 
they were self-aware of what they were doing, where Saul was a little more self-deceived at times. Um, but anyway, I just thought that was an interesting correlation of us even in the church today, you know. Amen. Notice how Pastor Jeremy takes two weeks off and gives Pastor Daniel and myself the, the, the hard messages. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I jest. <laughs> I even mentioned him a few times, you know, so. Good. Yes, Lee. Well, I have a question because I'll tie it into the lesson because uh, Samuel said to Saul, you're going to die. Okay, well, I'm reading how does he die. He dies in battle. He falls on his sword, which is kind of a form of killing yourself because he, he knew he was cornered and he was going to die. And then the next part where there's a guy talking to David, the new king, and says, hey, I, uh, I actually finished off Saul, and uh, aren't you happy for me? And then he kills him because... So why would, A, you know what I mean? That's like a, two different stories. One Saul falls on his sword, and then this other bird brain goes and tells the king good news that I killed him for you. I finished him off. So the way, the way I understand yeah. that is, is Samuel's just telling you what this person said. So it's just narrative, right? But if you go and look at, I can't remember if it's uh, Chronicles or Kings, that the other telling of this um, also you know, mentions that Saul killed himself. You know, Saul fell on his own sword, reiterates that. And, and that writing has, it, it's, it's purely from a, an objective perspective, whereas this telling, the way I reconcile that is this person must have thought David's going to really be happy to hear that he's king, so I'm going to be the first one to bring to him. I helped bring your kingdom into, you know, fruition and, you know, bring it, bring it about. Aren't you going to be happy about that? Put him to death. That's what you get for touching the Lord's anointed. Well, just one more point tying this in with Daniel's message last week where Michael won't curse Satan. David won't touch the tyrant, the, genis- the, the, the man who murdered most of the priesthood. He will not touch Saul, and he'll put to death the man who claims he did. That is righteous King David right there. Not so righteous in Second Samuel. That's a little spoiler if you if you get the interest in in your Bible reading. He he. Kind of, there's this this statement about Dan, David rather um, that you know he ruled with all equity and justice, and that was like the height of his his reign in Second Samuel seven or eight. And then uh, sadly he loses the the justice uh, part of that later on in his life. Or he misses on it frequently, I should say. I think we are at time. I will send you off again with this exhortation um, that we, we really should not, and we're fools, to treat our sin lightly. I know that's, that's, that's heavy and hard to hear, and, and maybe you know, you, part of you wants to rebel against that. Um, but deal deal rightly with your sin, because if you don't, it will lead to death. It's, it's on this, this unrelenting path toward your destruction, uh, unless you, as, as um, God told Cain, master it, right? Sin is crouching at the door, Cain, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So 
by the Lord's Spirit and, and, and maybe by the help of this very church and, and those in this church and in your families um, holding us in check and praying for us, may we have the strength and the um, ability to, to, to see our sin and to truly turn from it and to live. Amen.